Cuba is a country that has been steeped in revolution, leading to a communist overthrow of the government in the 1960s. The U.S. started an embargo on Cuba, which is still in place to this day. Cuba has been widely praised for its medical system, which is considered one of the best in the developing world, with extra emphasis on this, considering it faces a shortage of medical supplies due to the American embargo. When the first wave of COVID hit Europe and the Americas, a group of Italian tourists brought it to Cuba. Cuba managed to contain the outbreak and was almost completely unaffected. However, back in Italy, the virus was not contained and the medical system in Italy collapsed. Cuba was one of many countries to send health professionals there to assist the Italians. However, starting in June 2021, the first real wave of Corona hit the isolated Caribbean island. Cuba, due to its amazing healthcare system, has one of the oldest populations in the Americas. Older people are at a higher risk of death from COVID, and the government was forced to increase COVID restrictions. Unrest and anger was already felt in this country that relies so heavily on tourism. Once the COVID restrictions were implemented, people began taking to the streets, demanding governmental reform and an end to the COVID lockdown. Since July 11, 2021, Cuba has been in open revolt, an attempted revolution by the unarmed populace of Cuba. The protest began as a result of Cuba's strict authoritarianism, a shortage of food and medicine, and the government's response to COVID-19. America, which is located just 90 miles away from Cuba, the largest island of the Caribbean, has had an almost complete embargo against Cuba since 1962. It is the most enduring trade embargo in modern history. The two countries, although adversaries, have and will forever be completely locked in each other's destinies. In America, leftist news outlets blame the U.S. embargo on Cuba for the issues faced in the country, while moderate and conservative outlets blame the communist totalitarian nature of the Cuban government for these circumstances. Last year, the Cuban economy shrank by 11% due to the coronavirus. Tourism, which the Cuban economy has become almost completely dependent upon, has been destroyed. Another wave starting just last month has caused this. Similar to many communist nations that find themselves on the wrong end of American restrictions, Cubans have to wait hours to get basic goods and markets, and electronic blackouts are common. Economists have a joke about Cuba. There is a young Cuban man who is trying to win the favor of a beautiful Cuban lady. In an attempt to impress her, he brags about being a doorman at the Ritz-Carlton in Havana. This works, but the relationship falls apart when the young lady realizes he's just a brain surgeon. In Cuba, a doctor can make between $25 to $100 a month, where somebody working in an industry like tourism, where they can make tips, can make that in a day. Revolution is not a new concept to Cubans. It has been a pastime to them as much as baseball has been to Americans. In political science, the term banana republic describes a politically unstable country which is dependent upon the exportation of a limited resource, such as bananas or sugar. What would happen with the Banana Republic is that the government of a country generally representing an oligarchic or aristocratic class would see its wealth grow, while the hardworking citizens of the country remained forever poor. These countries would be answerable to American corporations who had the money to invest in them. These Banana Republics led to massive instability in the Latin American world and led to socialistic ideologies to become widespread. Following disputed elections in 1906, the first president of Cuba, Thomas Estrada Palma, faced an armed revolt by independence war veterans who defeated the meager government forces. 
the U.S. intervened by occupying Cuba and named Charles Edward Magoon as governor for three years. Cuban historians have characterized Magoon's governorship as having introduced political and social corruption. Another U.S. intervention occurred in 1917. The U.S.'s real goal behind these Cuban interventions was to protect American corporate interests, such as sugarcane factories. Eventually, Cuba became a hotspot for American tourism, leading to widespread decadence, gambling, and prostitution. The Wall Street crash led to a series of revolts by a group of students known as the Generation of 1930. President Roosevelt of the U.S. wanted to end the age of imperialism, so he decided to not intervene in this wave of revolutions. In 1933, a revolution occurred. Without U.S. interference, eventually a full-fledged democracy developed. However, it wasn't a stable democracy. An army sergeant named Valencio Batista couped the government and took power of Cuba. He led it through a series of puppet presidents until running for himself in 1940. Credit should be given to Batista. A sergeant is a rather low rank for someone to pull something like this off. His charisma must have been legendary. Batista was a competent ruler. He adopted a constitution that enacted a social safety net for the citizens of Cuba. After his term ended in 1944, he stepped aside to allow a protege of his to assume the position. The protege lost to a former presidential candidate. After this election, Batista retired to Florida, where he formed some connections with the U.S. government and the U.S. Mafia, until 1952 when he returned to Cuba and ran for president again. The previous presidents allowed corruption to destroy the country of Cuba. When Batista returned, he realized he didn't have the political legitimacy to win the election, and instead of facing defeat, he staged a military coup with the support of his friends in America. Batista's second term as president was far different from his first. He suspended the 1940s constitution that he himself enacted. He revoked most political liberties, including the right to strike. Batista limited freedom of the press and began persecutions of communists and socialists. This time, Batista openly embraced American corporatism. For example, American corporations at this time owned 90% of Cuban mines, 80% of public utilities, 70% of arable land, 50% of railways, 40% of sugar production, and 25% of bank deposits. The rich got richer and the poor got poorer, with a shrinking middle class. The U.S. mob got itself heavily involved in Cuba at this time. As Cuba was becoming a banana republic, Cubans grew more discontent. Leftist and socialist ideas were a growing trend in Central and South America at this time, in large part due to American corporatism. One of the leftists who found himself on the run from Batista was a young Cuban lawyer slash politician named Fidel Castro. To better understand Fidel Castro, we can listen to what he said and take his words on the matter. Sobre la cuestión acerca de si la lucha armada es el único camino to the question about the fact if armed struggle is the only path para la liberación to liberation lo que puedo responder I would answer es que that por lo menos en las condiciones de nuestro país at least in the case of our country no había otro camino we have no other path Y en nuestra opinión, and we think that, en las condiciones de la inmensa mayoría de los países de América Latina, in a huge majority of Latin American countries, no hay otro camino que la lucha armada. There was no other choice than armed struggle. Y esa parece ser la situación también en muchos otros países de. It seems to be the same situation in many other countries from Asia, Asia, y de África. And Africa. Por lo general siempre el imperialismo cuenta. Usually imperialism always counts by any means. 
con todos los medios, aliado con las oligarquías de cada uno de los países. Joining forces with the oligarchy of every country. Para impedir to prevent eh, el triunfo democrático de, de la revolución. The democratic triumph of the revolution. Y tiene atado a los pueblos por una especie de nudo gordiano. And it's hanging people with a rope. Que solo se puede quebrar mediante la lucha armada. That can only be cut by armed struggle. Además, el camino de la lucha armada no es el camino que hayan escogido los revolucionarios. Revolutionaries didn't choose armed struggle. Sino es el camino que los opresores le han impuesto a los pueblos. It's the path oppressors impose to the people. Y los pueblos entonces tienen dos alternativas. So people have only two choices. O doblegarse. To suffer. O luchar. Or to fight. Changing his life from politician to revolutionary, Fidel fled to the countryside following Batista's coup and assembled about 12,000 followers. Castro ran his organization with military precision. Drinking alcohol was forbidden, and sex wasn't allowed. By 1953, Castro had the support base he needed to stage a coup. However, he needed weapons to do this. He sieged a base at Moncada, which went terribly. Castro's forces were beaten back, and then they fled. In the following days, the authorities arrested many of the revolutionaries, including Fidel Castro. Castro was put on trial, where he gave one of the 20th century's most famous speeches, History Will Absolve Me. Hey there. If you're liking this episode, why don't you go subscribe to me on Apple iTunes, on Google Podcasts? Besides that, um, I have the full extended version of the episode on my Patreon account. So if you want to go check that out, it includes about maybe an extra 10 minutes. I go into more detail about the history of Cuba, banana republics, uh, a few speeches from world leaders. So yep, uh, go check that out. Also, I want to thank my new Patreon subscribers, Grimbot and E. Hansen. Really, thanks so much, guys. You're the best. Fidel would be sentenced to 15 years in prison. However, on May 6, 1954, President Batista, bowing to public pressure, released the revolutionary. Fidel continued to speak negatively of Batista and eventually fled to Mexico, where he met a fellow revolutionary, Che Guevara. Ernesto Che Guevara was an Argentine Marxist revolutionary. Che has become symbolic with revolution. His photo, taken in 1960, has become one of the most famous and recognized photos of all time. Che spent his early years traveling around South and Central America on a motorbike, which exposed him to massive poverty all throughout the continent. Eventually, he ended up in Guatemala, an American banana republic. There, he became convinced that the USA was the enemy of freedom and that capitalism was keeping the world enslaved. Years later, he met Fidel Castro in Mexico. Fidel and Che left Mexico on a boat, headed to start a revolution in Cuba with another anti-Batista group. The boat could only hold about a maximum of 25 people, and Castro packed 82 onto it. The boat almost capsized and sank, and it was also late by two days. By the time Che and Castro arrived, the other rebellion had already been destroyed, and Batista was waiting for Castro's group. They were heavily bombarded, and only about a dozen men survived, including Castro and Che. While the revolutionaries regrouped in the forest, a New York Times writer released an article on them. Castro's support was growing massively around the heavily oppressed country of Cuba. In April, Fidel called for nationwide strikes against Batista. Batista responded by shooting down any strikers. Castro gained massive support after Batista's brutal response. Castro sent Che on a westward march to Havana. The situation had changed rapidly for Castro, 
who was now the one with the power. Batista's government forces put up virtually no fight on Che's march, and on December 31, 1958, Batista resigned and fled the country. Fidel was now in power. Castro, using his Spartan militarism, managed to keep his illiterate peasant soldiers from looting. He knew that he needed educated men to govern, and so chose to appoint a former professor of his as prime minister and another man to be president. Castro kept control of the army. Che, being an educated, philosophical-thinking doctor, was the brains of the operation. Over time, he attempted to turn the agrarian peasant society into an industrial one, and it led to the poor of Cuba, feeling he had abandoned them. Fidel kept the USA placated by denouncing communism, but had secret plans for Cuba. There is not communism or Marxism in our ideas. I am not communism. I am not agree with communism. My acts prove for the press in Cuba. I have said very clearly that we are not communists. I will never be against any right that is my think in politics. I am not communist at all. Castro went to the USA to get recognition from President Eisenhower. When he arrived, he was ignored by the president, leading to the first strain in relations with the newly revolutionized nation. Seven months later, he abolished the puppet government. He did this in a rather tactile way. He accused the president of corruption and resigned his position. The people rose up and demanded the president must go, asking Fidel to come back. The president fled the country, and Castro installed himself with complete dictatorial rule. His totalitarian rule led to many being executed, and freedom of the media was completely rescinded. Castro began nationalizing Cuban industries, many owned by the U.S., without compensation, angering the U.S. It also led to a mass exodus of Cubans. Eisenhower, who was in the last days of his administration, began an operation to train exiles to overthrow Castro. President Kennedy, who had just assumed the presidency, took over the coup attempt, leading to the disastrous Bay of Pigs. The plan was that anti-Castro, CIA-trained Cuban exiles would start a revolution in Cuba with U.S. support. However, Kennedy wanted to play both sides of the field. He didn't want to anger the USSR and escalate things, as had happened in the previous decade in Korea. And so he chose not to support the Cuban revolutionaries with air support. Once the exiles landed in Cuba, they were destroyed by Castro's forces, and it caused massive humiliation to the Kennedy administration. It also resulted in Castro being completely driven into the Soviet camp. In response to the Bay of Pigs, Castro went on national television and announced he was a Marxist-Leninist, and he would be until the day he died. The U.S. responded with an even larger embargo that led to Cuban food shortages. The Soviets responded by offering the Cuban revolutionaries a place in their camp, bringing Soviet missiles onto the island, which was located less than 100 miles from the USA. This jumped miles for the Soviet missile technology, which was unable to appropriately hit the USA with their technology in the early 1960s. The USA had missiles located just off of the border of the USSR in countries such as Norway and Turkey. Cuba, however, was an island located less than 100 miles from the US. This event led to the closest the world has ever come to World War III or an apocalypse. The 13 days known as the Cuban Missile Crisis During the Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy remained cautious, but was much bolder in his defiance of the Soviets. The Soviets backed down and removed their missiles from Cuba. During the crisis, 
U.S. President Kennedy and Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev were far more cautious compared to Fidel, who was open and ready to start a nuclear war with the capitalist U.S. The U.S. continued its embargo of Cuba, which destroyed the Cuban economy. In 1965, the U.S. decided to accept massive amounts of Cuban refugees, leading to a massive brain drain in the communist utopia. Castro attempted to restore the Cuban economy by instating a five-year plan like Operation, which would almost double the amount of sugarcane harvested. This goal would be impossible, though, and he poured all of the country's economic resources into the sugarcane industry. The whole country was put to work in the fields to reach this goal, leading to all the other industries virtually stopping. Even Castro himself was said to have cut cane for four hours a day during this period. Fidel spent the next three decades surviving assassination attempts. It was said that he never stayed in the same place more than two or three days maximum. Fidel later said, if surviving assassination attempts were an Olympic event, I would win a gold medal. Dealing with a stagnant economy solely dependent upon the USSR. When the USSR collapsed in the early 90s, Cuba was a fish out of water. Between 1989 and 1992, the GDP of Cuba dropped by over 35%. To make matters worse, corn syrup surpassed cane sugar as the world's main sugar product, and Cuba's main and only export price collapsed. Cuba, as opposed to North Korea, who doubled down and completely isolated with the outside world after losing the USSR, their sole benefactor, did the opposite. They opened up the country. They began allowing tourism and even made the US dollar legal currency. This would ironically save and destroy Cuba. The now liberalized economy was open to manipulation from the outside. With the Cold War ended, the USA was past its vindictive stages and the Clinton administration considered opening up trade with the isolated country in the 90s. However, Clinton's attempts got blocked on this by the massive educated Cuban expatriate community that fled the country in the 1960s and 70s. They wanted an end to the Castro regime, which they felt still oppressed their relatives. Clinton backed down to public pressure, and the embargo continued. Fidel, feeling his age, handed power to his brother Raul Castro in 2008, Raul was a war hero who fought alongside Fidel and Che. Raul understood that things needed to change, and he began talks with the U.S. The Obama administration answered, and restrictions between the two enemies began to thaw. Until Trump's election, Trump reenacted many embargo conditions. The ancient Raul handed over power to a new president of Cuba, Miguel Diaz-Canel, in 2019. Conclusion COVID-19 did to Cuba what it did to the United States, pushed a nearly broken system to its breaking point. Cuba has gone through revolution all throughout its history, since the Europeans first arrived in 1492, and it's possible they will face a new one again soon. Almost a million and a half people have fled the island to America since its communist revolution, draining it of many elites, rich people, and intellectuals. The reason for the Cuban protests can be partially blamed on the U.S. embargo. However, it is not that simple. It's just as easy to blame the unfree totalitarian nature of the Cuban government for these problems. The U.S. government enacted an embargo, which still causes problems for the Cuban government. But it is the large expatriate or refugee Cuban community in the United States that for the most part wants to keep it until the communist regime is out of power. As much as Che and Fidel would hate to hear this, we live in a capitalist world. It isn't the U.S.'s fault. 
that their socialist planned economic models failed. Also, it isn't right to blame the U.S. for keeping the embargo. During the Cuban Missile Crisis, Fidel was far more bold in his defiance of the U.S. Both Khrushchev and Kennedy were wary, and we survived because of this. Had Fidel been in the position of Khrushchev, things might not have gone down the way they did. The future of Cuba is unknown, and due to the complete lack of internet on the island, we can't be sure what's happening. Even before the protests, it was common for Cubans to go to specific areas on the island to get access to the internet. We can't be sure of the true size of these protests, because the government is blocking access to the internet and controlling what leaves the country. One of the problems with totalitarian systems is that when the charismatic leader dies, things always fall apart. Another problem is political legitimacy. A common occurrence all throughout the totalitarian world is when a strong charismatic man comes to power, like Fidel Castro or Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. They are integral to the stability of the society. Once they die, their successor lacks legitimacy. Fidel used his charisma and sheer force of personality to control the Cuban masses. Many times, they came begging to have him back when he would step down. Miguel Diaz-Canel, the president of Cuba, is not a war hero who defiantly stood up to Cuba's colonial or capitalist overlords. He isn't even, as Fidel's successor Raul Castro was, a war hero. In an ironic twist, the ideologies of Che Guevara and Fidel Castro were all about granting freedom to the individual, seeing the U.S. and capitalism as the great enslavers of people. Today, the Cuban communist government is the thing in power, and it's enslaving the people of Cuba.